Welcome to Analyze Asia, the podcast dedicated to dissect the pulse of technology, media, and business in Asia. The show is sponsored by IdealWorkspace.com, which promotes a healthier way of working through their adjustable standing desks. And Linkshus, the place where you can sell your products everywhere. Hi, Cyril. Hey, Bernard. How are you doing? Excellent. How's it going on your side? I'm well. Singapore is experiencing some weather at the moment. So we are talking to Cyril Ebersweiler from Accelerator and also SOS Ventures. Yep, all good. Tell me a little bit about your story as in your career prior to doing Accelerator, which is actually a hardware accelerator and also venture capital in investing in hardware startups. Sure, the story of my life. I was born in France quite a long time ago now. Essentially, I've been uh, quite studying business law until uh, my early 20s uh, in the countryside city in, in France. I've always you know, liked playing with computers and whatnot since I was a kid. So I always wanted to be a technologist, but at the same time, I was also quite a backpacker. I happened to actually come to China at the end of the, the, the 90s for a few trips and you know, really liked the uh, the ambience and also the the fact that something big was was happening. Uh, so I actually managed to to get a, to become an exchange student uh, back in 2000. You know, started to to get my my China chops. The first job at a company called Carrefour, which is a very big uh, retail chain, actually also from from France. Uh, that was uh, quite, quite a big retail chain store in, in China, but just getting started. What happened there was you know quite a serendipitous in 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 the sense that I offered to to do whatever I wanted in the store by understanding what was inside of a store first and then developing services on top of it. So since you know in the internet was uh, picking up um, I decided to, to build the um, essentially you know, what was the the first e-commerce platform for uh, um, a retailer in, in, in China I learned a lot for that in terms of uh, more technical skills but uh, also some um, some more business skills that obviously had nothing to do with uh, I've done in the past as a, as a student really learning from from the ground uh, what you could do and you know grew a team of, a team of about 15 people out there was very interesting and later you know continued to move on so uh, moved from Shanghai to Beijing and then from Beijing to Guangzhou where I've set up a pretty big center so I started from scratch and uh, went up to about 100 people for uh, another big company in, um, in travel at that point was a uh, uh, pretty uh, pretty bored uh, so decided to, to explore Japan back in 2005 uh, went to to Japan really start a new career from from scratch which was in um, in advertising so I joined a group called TBWA out there and really back to the to the roots of, of, of marketing learn a lot about CRM implemented lots of those strategies to, to clients and, and eventually that will lead me to lead me to actually go back to China to set up another agency and also to Korea to work with um, uh, very big clients on a vi- wide variety of topics we call that through the line so it's it's above the line and, and, and below the line in, in the marketing uh, jargon it was all, all pretty interesting so grew grew an agency from something about you know from zero to, to about 50 people in in a um, couple of years finally uh, joined a, a venture fund called SOS Ventures and uh, uh, that, that was long coming in fact because uh, I've been trying to, to tie up the, uh, the world of startups from Japan to big clients and then understood the kind of the, the role of, uh, of agencies and, and the fact that uh, agencies could or should actually you know incubate startups in a way that was not very well understood you know 10 years ago I actually even proposed to, to build an accelerator over there about seven or eight years ago when things just got started eventually didn't uh, pan out but since I joined SOS Ventures we actually decided that uh, we would experiment that so I created the first accelerator in China called China Accelerator mm-hmm. um, which is uh, now in Shanghai that led me later to create uh, Hack which we're going to talk about uh, in a second mm. So how did it end up that you created Accelerator and got yourself 
located in Shenzhen? That was actually not the plan at all. Since since you know Shenzhen had a had a very bad reputation for uh, for a long time, and I was most likely one of, one of the first to to actually refuse to <laughs> to go south after having been there. You know, in the early 2000s, my friends were telling me, "Oh, it changed a lot and all that." And I was like, "Okay, well, great." And at the same time, we um, we actually had a, a few uh, hardware startups coming through the program of uh, Chen Accelerator. So you know, hacks was was not existing. Really, um, you know, had to to go through uh, the difficulties as investors and as the accelerator. It was always all about how can we you know help those startups to to be successful. So we came down to Shenzhen, and, and it was pretty difficult to to get away through. That was you know uh, about five six years ago now. And I found it quite strange because uh, when I arrived here, I was like, this is you know uh, the the mecca for for electronics, and there is supply chain all around us. Uh, so there are people who can help us. It's just that uh, we haven't pulled the things together, and also a lot of that, you know, was was big company stuff um, happening here. Uh, so, so the idea really started there. I then invested in other hardware companies like Leap Motion, which helped me understand some other aspects of of the of the hardware startup on the business side, and then later on the on, on the scaling side. And, and all in all, we started Hacks as a place where where people could experiment things. Um, but also, really, the goal was to build the product and and launch it, which was um, somewhat, you know, at that time counterintuitive because most companies. Companies were launching on Kickstarter. This was pre-payable. Companies were, were launching on Kickstarter without knowing, you know, how, how to actually build a product. But from from day one, the the idea was to you know, do the reverse. We actually learn how to build a product, and then we launch it on crowdfunding, and then we deliver uh, that product. And, and so the, the company has, has very strong foundations and, and and can go on essentially. So that's what led, led us to, to do that. And and over the years, what we've done is to really put some kind of uh, methodology around all of this. So in the second year, I had the chance to, to the founder of uh, of MakerBot, so the the CTO, to join us. Uh, Zach Smith and so what, what we did was was to try to, to put a methodology around all this how can we fasten the, the product to get to market on the business side with the right product market fit or how to get closer to it and then on the on the technical side really re- using manufacturing techniques in the prototyping realm and that's what made us be in Shenzhen at the, at the first place or really start to justify everything about it because in Shenzhen we could really do what we call now collaborative design so uh, really try to blend in the d- design for manufacturing with the goal of of putting out you know a few thousand devices in the course of the life of the company or more at least anticipate as much as you can about the hardships that are in front of you so you actually amass a very interesting background you started running things in the e-commerce and then you also did marketing and advertising as in the agency world (laughs) in the retail world right so then you get into hardware yeah so you basically amass the entire supply chain, I guess, to bring into this hardware world. So exactly. Yeah. I, I was looking at the Hexcelerator Slack Share. It's probably one of the best resources that I have seen. I mean, everything I want to know about the hardware, you know, you guys talk about funding, you guys talk about hardware is the new black, right? Yep. And then you created some stats about hardware funding and percentile of startup funding. What are the trends that you note about the case of the rise of hardware startups, particularly in the geography you're in, which is the most exciting region in China on hardware, which is Shenzhen? Yeah, I'll say it's a, it's a global phenomenon. So, you know, hacks companies are coming from primarily, you know, North America, about 60% of them, 20% from Europe and about 20% from from Asia. You know, we've had startups also from South America and from, from Africa too. So, so it's, it's, it's really everywhere. We have about 29 nationalities, I think, as well keeps growing literally you know over, over the last three years um, the number of startups that that we've seen and the number of startups that are also succeeding everywhere is uh, is, is definitely uh, uh, growing um, and and of course there are more and more activity from uh, very big 
companies in the software uh, getting uh, getting into the into the hardware space. Uh, so that's kind of the the the, uh, the, the state today uh, of the affairs. China is also very eager to, to to play a role in this field, and of course, you've seen. Uh, in the last four years, you know, companies like Xiaomi uh, really rising from from nothing. So, so all that is um, is great, but it's actually not going to stop because a lot of the uh, hardships of hardware, uh, you know, uh, are going down uh, by the day. So it was through prototyping, but also as the supply chain starts to really uh, transform itself in a way to support this uh, this new wave, as much as uh, essentially the prototyping tools that uh, will become more production ready in the electronic world, for example. So, so we'll see, continue to see, you know, lots of, of applications, lots of products most products are becoming uh, smarter most products will become mobile most products will essentially transform themselves in, into little robots because uh, um, at the end of the day what what you have the power that you have in your mobile phone is going to get just about inside of anything since the prices you know keeps keeps falling in many ways you know whether it's the uh, the microprocessor or the uh, the sensors uh, or the connectivity like uh, like bluetooth which used to be uh, seven eight bucks uh, you know a year or two ago and it's now like like for three bucks you know you can get a module etc same thing with wi-fi same thing with 3g same thing with gps so all that is is really a force which will create new startups that can be built on products which were way too expensive before but also that can get to to market um, a lot faster um, and, and crowdfunding has been instrumental uh, in helping out entrepreneurs which were uh, not necessarily going to, to raise funding or didn't have the traction to raise funding. One of the most famous ones is, is obviously Pebble that was not uh, able to, to raise funding and then, then you know, blew up on, on Kickstarter as soon as, as they launched. So we definitely see on the on the funding side more activity as well. There are, you know, of course, one of the, the biggest round ever that has been done in, in Magic Leap for, you know, $542 million, something like that by Google for a product that is not on the market. So that's uh, that's quite something something new as well in, in, the, in the venture world. More interest around, around hardware it you know converges with software or software converges with, with hardware as well as uh, uh, all those new players that um, uh, that will come in in uh, in, in product creation uh, from the offline world as well so uh, there is also retail that is uh, is, is interested in, in this trend so a lot of things make the space heat up but I think heat up for for, for a good reason because it's going to be required it's going to take a village to to create the next Apple essentially since the uh, the, the competition is, is still you know cutthroat and scaling uh, scaling the companies is, is still difficult at the end of the day so all those trends are uh, quite positive but when, when when you are inside of it, it's better than being being too late uh, as a startup. It, it takes a while to get to market and, and to scale a company. So I was looking at these uh, hardware trends that they you have recently presented, and I think that there, as of I think March two thousand fifteen, there were already three thousand over hardware startups, and there is actually a notably increase of hardware startups, particularly for seed and Series A. It's an upward mm-hmm. trend as it is. But one of the things that people always talk about hardware as in they always claim is a problem. I don't think so. Is this whole issue about hardware commoditization. I think you pointed it out that it's a very cutthroat environment. So I think you created a methodology about the lean hardware startup. So how does this lean hardware startup model it's based on three principles which are uh, quite straightforward the first one is around building the um, uh, the right thing and at the end of the day you, you can consider that almost anything can be built uh, of course there are very you know uh, hard technical problems that uh, that has to be have to be solved in, in some cases and that will enable new kinds of, of uh, markets and businesses but consider that okay it, it can be done and so the, the, the question becomes the pun in, in the industry is Wi-Fi what would you add you know something what would you connect an object to the internet and so exploring really the true north of, of entrepreneurs but also um, the product market fit is uh, is where it's at and the interesting thing about the product market fit for a, for a hardware company is that it's actually not not immediate because when people talk about prototypes they, they can talk of a breadboard 
down to the very latest prototype that is going to be actually produced. And so the, the, the product market fit is, is actually more iterative than it looks and takes actually quite some time, especially when you are starting with you know a brand new product that uh, that has a you know brand new look and a brand new brand and brand new fr- freaking everything you have to actually get to market as fast as possible and put it inside in inside of the hands of, of people and so that they can they can actually test it and that's only then that uh, you will actually have more and more proof of the product market fit over time so you know the first hit is generally on you know kickstarter you will assume that your customer development you've done is somewhat you know in the ballpark the product is somewhere in the ballpark and then you have an mvp and then you launch it kickstarter and then from here actually you will deliver that product and then you will refine you know, according to the feedback that you've got during the campaign but also as soon as people uh, have it in their hands because it's really that moment that makes it right and generally it's going to be you know 80 percent there 90 percent there if you're lucky and and then you do a v2 uh, or eventually a second product makes it right actually because you have a perfect understanding of the market and at what stage you also work on um, on your on your product retail fit which is getting it right for retail which is actually not uh, not that easy so you know un- understanding that you, are, you have built the, r- the right product can take some time and actually you, you should assume that it's not going to be correct the first time, but you are going to, to work on it. So that's the first principle, which is a, a, a lifelong principle in its own. Building the right thing is the second one. And sorry, building things first one, building the, the, the things right. Things right is, is the second one. And here is about how you build it. Uh, the fact that you want to be able to actually prototype and, and get to market as, as fast as possible and understand your tools. And so so that's that's why we're, we're, we're here, essentially leveraging a lot of the knowledge of the supply chain to help us get those products to market. And then, you know, startups can, can build on, on, on top of that. And they can also use use, you know, local components and etc. And, and try to trim down that bill of material down the road. And then the third one is, is you know, ship fast or, you know, essentially get, get to market because this is only the, the very, very first tab that you have at understanding if, if that's a product that people want. Mm. So the, there's, there's a question that I looked through the, the life of a hardware startup. We got to go started with concept, then it moved into what's called a minimum functional prototype follow move into something called a complete functional prototype and then design for manufacturer then it goes into the first factory run and then it goes into retail the question about crowdfunding and also getting the initial investment you have some thoughts about how hardware startups should be thinking about that can you just kind of share like for example how hardware startups how much should be a hardware startup raising and then how do they leverage on Kickstarter to get to the next stage? Uh, so all hardware startups are, are different, uh, but obviously there are some similarities we can can uh, talk about. So when it comes down to product development, essentially there are various phases that uh, that you've exposed out there that uh, that the companies can go through before they, they go on, on a crowdfunding campaign. Essentially what we've noticed is that some companies manage to get all the way to profitability by taking a little bit of uh, of angel money uh, or accelerator money, you know, 25K or 100K, proceed to, you know, spend that money on their MVP, on videos and etc. Essentially understand also how much it's going to cost ahead for them to deliver. And then after the key is going to be a delta of how much money you received and how much money you have to spend uh, with a very, very big gap in, in between, which is actually how much money you are going to be able to, to spare by not sliding in terms of uh, uh, delivery schedule. Because, um, you know, just picture it for a second. Let's say that uh, you have a 50K burn rate and you slide by three months. You may think that you've lost 150K, but actually in the world of hardware, you've lost a lot more than that because 
you've lost cash flow in order to help you refinance. So 150K, if you were delivering, you know, uh, three months earlier, which, you know, was on schedule or whatever, you would actually not have 150K in front of you, but, you know, the potential for, for revenue of $500,000, which could change just about, you know, everything about your company, about its relationship with its manufacturer, with investors, retailers, and etc. cetera. We've, we've seen that. We've seen companies that went through hacks, for example, raised, you know, as little as, uh, as $200,000, uh, amazingly, being able to deliver being able to refinance and then go all the way up uh, to profitability in you know millions of dollars in sales, or tens of millions in some cases, and then you know they raise actually you know a Series A uh, at very very favorable term because they are actually you know under control. So that's you know fairly unusual, but but maybe not that unusual. And and it, it requires the companies to you know get back to build things right essentially because when you start from from scratch from from here where we are in Shenzhen in, in this case, the the key is to leverage the environment as I mentioned earlier. But the, the, the very big difference between hardware startups and software startup is the fact that in a software startup, uh, in a software startup, you can stay behind your computer and you know spend your whole life behind it and never talk to anyone if you really want to. In a hardware startup, this is not possible. You actually will have to go out and make your success somebody else's success as well. This is actually a key and, and relationships are built over time, trust as well. And actually starting from that point makes total sense because you don't want to leave the keys of, of your apartment to, to people you don't know of. You know, this mm -hmm. is this is not a good old offshoring. This is, this is actually a partnership because startups and factories, well, the, the factory is going to lose money. You know, it's just uh, there, there's no direct question. Uh, the time that they're going to spend with uh, with you is, is a risk on, on their side and, and even the money. Uh, but actually, if the collaboration is, is fruitful, this is where magic happens because this is this is where you start to bend time and bend space and, and bend money equations. So so that's how I think, you know, lean lean hardware startups are, are born and, and will uh, strive. So you have actually encountered founders with very good hardware prototypes, but they also fail at retail. Why, why, does, why did that happen then? Uh, well, re retail happens, you know, quite later in the stage, um, you know, so the key is to find out whether or not the, the product that you want to take to retail has crossed the chasm potentially mm. um, because Kickstarter is a, you know, is a hint at product market fit, but it's, it's not it, you know, it's still full of people uh, who are uh, amazingly willing to uh, help uh, funders uh, do something and, and, and pre-order something, have some level of expectations, but uh, not too much. And, and it's an amazing tool. And I'm, I'm, I'm glad I'm also part of that and, and, and financing a lot of other uh, companies this way. At the end of the day, you know, this is a very, very subset of, uh, of the realities of the market. And essentially, there is a lot to understand in, in how that the startups will, will scale or how the products will, will scale. Uh, first of all, it's pretty hard to go to retail when you are uh, quite uh, quite small and you have only one KU. You know, first of all, getting a good understanding of the channels is important and the channels that work for you. Uh, there is obviously a lot of things that can be done in e-commerce, whether it's direct or, or through Amazon or, or other other means. Um, and essentially, from here, uh, start to have uh, some kind of, of test that, that goes around, in, in particular in terms of uh, the product reliability. because. It's, it's definitely one thing to you know build 100 units, build 1,000, build 10,000. Uh, but as you start to scale up, other physical things happen and that you were not predicting uh, before. And so, but the key is that you cannot afford that. If you go to retail and you know you have to be into 2,000 stores tomorrow. And if you have 5% uh, return, then then you're probably you know done with your business. Or if it doesn't work, then it will be returned to you, and the, the retailers will not want to work with you anymore. So all that has to be you know worked and anticipated quite well. You have to think about uh, about how your product fits in retail. The biggest realization that um, uh, that the startups can make is that the, the retailers and other takers they're not here to sell 
your product. It sounds shocking, but you know the, the, the products have to you know either sell themselves. That means that you have to have done some uh, legwork in terms of branding before, so that when people you know go on the shelf and they recognize it and 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 you know they, they buy it, or you will have to spend a tremendous amount of time either in training people, which you know works uh, somewhat, or actually do a lot of advertising in store, which uh, is also very expensive. It's literally night and day uh, between a product that works and doesn't, and until you've you've done everything into this environment. Mm. Which comes to Kickstarter. I mean, you mentioned it across this whole conversation so far. It's a very good channel to discover product market fit and there are expectations. I shop on Kickstarter probably every other week. I just kind of want to get a sense from you. What are the things that a founder from a hardware startups should or should not do on Kickstarter? Well, the, the things that they should not do is, is lie. That's pretty clear. Mm. But also, not. Uh, I think it, it touches the, you know, the naivety. I mean, it's okay to be naive, but but sometimes it's, it's uh, you know, it's, it's borderline uh, lying. So, you know, managing expectations, uh, under-promising, over-delivering is a good recipe on, on Kickstarter, even though, you know, who knows if you get credits from, from, from doing that. But at least uh, uh, every day that you wake up, it's, uh, it's a good thing to, to keep in mind. What uh, what you should not do is uh, uh, not, not being active. People are actually, you know, they want to be involved and, for having seen it, you know we, we've done 20, uh, 29 campaigns, so so we are you know uh, probably uh, the most experienced company in the world with uh, with crowdfunding and raised you know you know millions and millions of dollars and on average three hundred thousand dollars on on uh, on each campaign. So what we've seen here is is that it's it's overwhelming for funders in in many ways because uh, you can imagine when you are already you know two three people and you are very busy with your product and your marketing and and your life, and then you receive you know one email uh, you know every every ten minutes uh, on top of everything else, and there is customer service, you know there is and, and people asking you to add features and etc. So um, the, the the amount of information and the amount of work that comes out of it is a uh, is is huge, and that's great. Uh, also because people want to interact with it, that proves that there is you know there is there is something there. Uh, but it's it's not hard. It's pretty hard to digest from day one. Thinking about those structures ahead uh, really helps. And be active during the campaign is, uh, is a good thing. Most most startups actually um, uh, are not for all kinds of reasons. And uh, uh, the, the biggest mistake that uh, that most companies do is to go back in R and D after after the campaign essentially because they want to integrate part of the feedback but but not all of it. So you know they're torn uh, between features and and uh, and other things. In, in thinking about that retail experience that we just talked about, uh, this this actual actually the iterations have to be graded over time essentially, and they have to be you know uh, they have to be right at some point rather than in, in a fantasy. Of, uh, of someone else's brain or, or even your own. Uh, anecdotes that are interesting, you know, most of the very, very um, successful campaigns, you know, surprisingly actually have received a lot of money before. Uh, so sometimes what you see on Kickstarter is not is not what it looks. Uh, you know, some companies are pretty true to, to uh, you know, the, the, the spirit and, you know, don't have much money and if they don't get the money, then it's going to be very complicated to um, to move forward with the project. More than half of the uh, of the, the campaigns that crossed a million dollars on the on those platforms uh, actually raised at least a million dollars before. And using also sometimes effectively advertising and, and whatnot to, to push those figures uh, up. There are lots of ways to, to handle a, a campaign. So you have been a venture capitalist focusing on hardware startups. And this is where I want to really tap your brain because how what is a checklist for an investor to look at a hardware startup? What are the kind of metrics and what is the how many times the money 
that you raise from a hardware startup against a software startup? I'd say it depends on the on the stage of the of the of the company. Obviously, uh, there are different places or, or timing uh, that uh, hardware startups can can raise. Obviously, a good timing of some kind is uh, the earlier the better. If you you actually built uh, in the past a company, you know, if you have some some kind of pedigree and and, and be able to to raise money from from thin air is uh, is always good. But most founders uh, obviously don't don't have that that option. You know, on 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 a story base and a, and a prototype can definitely get you know angel money or get into an accelerator or both. There is another uh, window of opportunity, you know, right before Kickstarter as well, because in this case, if you've made the progresses with your prototype that is now working uh, and looking like, uh, you know, the real thing, there is a product that is in the making that is going to get to get to go to market no matter what. The Kickstarter, you know, a lot of investors put uh, put value on on uh, on, on Kickstarter uh, results, which is kind of strange in, for us because Kickstarter is, is it does not prove anything. Again, it proves some kind of product market fit, uh, but uh, it doesn't prove the fact that uh, uh, that the company would be big or not. Uh, and so, 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 so let me understand. So it's actually the, the, so. From what you're saying, is that it doesn't matter whether uh, you should invest before a Kickstarter or or after a Kickstarter campaign. Is that how I understand exactly. it? Wow. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Exactly. Uh, yeah. It's it's a uh, you know Kickstarter is you know for for a hardware startup is a, is a is a tactic at the end of the day. Yeah. Um, and uh, but it, it's 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 just a milestone uh, uh, amongst many others that that will be uh, coming. So and, and for the reason that I, that we talked about before, you know, this is this is some kind of product market fit. But anyway, it's not gonna be it. Mm. And also most of the, the of the Kickstarter are, are rigged because of uh, the fact that they've raised money before and they will spend money on marketing. So once you have all that. In your mind, then, then it's like, okay, well, you know, there are signals, uh, great, uh, but actually, it doesn't doesn't mean that even a company making, you know, uh, ten million dollar on Kickstarter, you know, may make may make make a nice, you know, nice little company with a, a thirty million dollar, you know, forty million dollar revenue a year or something like that, but won't be a startup, you know, in the, in the pure sense that you know this is going to be a business that is is worth so enough of compared to a uh, hundred million in the future. Okay, so compared to a software startup, typically, I mean, I've read. Jason Kalakanis who says that you know you take a 750k for a software startup and then you multiply two for a hardware startup is that true or is just basically his heuristic I, I, I don't know what uh, what stage is referring to yeah uh, exactly seed, I think I remember reading uh, his post about um, getting a startup at seed stage so he was kind of just yeah. give, giving some kind of heuristic to it and now obviously you who is a more experienced hardware startup investor probably is that that heuristic really right there are several questions um and uh, the main question here is for founders is always you know dilution as a hardware startups move forward you have those those milestones so one of them is 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 obviously that that kickstarter thing and Mm. and what what money you will get out of it for your own uh, for your own good Mm. um you know as as we mentioned before it's possible that you get you know enough money to actually get by without investments and, and move on. Uh, let's say that's not the case. Uh, then what you are trying to optimize for is actually uh, so the, the combination between the funding and and, um, and the, the crowdfunding money to get to market and then to to scale from here. Uh, but those are, are, are you know somewhat different uh, depending on, on on how fast you it takes you to get to market, but also the price of your device. You know if you have a uh, the cost of your device is 100 bucks versus 20. Well, you have you know a, a lot more uh, money to be made from uh, from from those who are uh, which are 20, or you can buy a lot more inventory from that uh, as well. Uh, you know, 1.5 million essentially is is at least what should get you to the point when you have shipped you know 5,000 devices. I would guess we we and that's why that's why we don't see it as a as funding, but we see it as as a combination of revenue and funding. And so because you have that pre-revenue. 
on Kickstarter, and then you have pre-revenue, and then you have that, that revenue uh, portion. Um, but you also have now retailers and you know lines of credit and all, all kinds of other things on the cash flow side, which can ease the need for pure venture capital money. Because if let's say that you raise a million first to get to Kickstarter, uh, this is the likelihood of uh, of how much money uh, you know how much equity you're gonna leave on the table is, is probably you know 20%, maybe more, maybe less, but you know let's call it 20. At this point, you go on Kickstarter, you know you you do okay, but you already have a burn rate which is pretty high because you you've you've been you know trying to scale up somehow because now you have a million dollar in the banks and that's what startups do spend money <laughs> uh, by the time they hit kickstarter generally we have s- s- been sliding for quite a while because they want to have a very expensive video and you know something fancy etc you know in kickstarter is going to be you know uh, they're going to put some some marketing money behind it and etc and the net net of it uh you know anyway and kickstarter is selling more than ten thousand devices is uh is very rare so you, you get to that point and you have yet to finance it Mm-hmm. Um, and that's when that's when the cash flow issue starts to to come in essentially because you know building ten thousand devices is actually pretty hard and if that schedule slides then you are back into the uh, the issues I mentioned before uh, essentially you will hit a point where let's say that you have a retailer coming over and want to place a SPO for five thousand units but you have to deliver them in the next thirty days in those places. And you have to have built-in margins inside of it, uh, which is also another issue because you are going to cut your own margins, you know, in your own profits. That's when the cash starts to become a problem. And essentially, if you uh, have to raise at this moment, you know, you are going to leave another 20 or 30% of your company. And you, you know, you may may not have reached out the Series A level yet because you're actually, this is not growth money yet. So, you know, let's call it 20 and, mm-hmm. and you raise another, you know, two, three million or whatever. You know, you are done 40, uh, you know, you have 60 and you have the 10%, 15% is up. So the founders are already below the 50% and they have yet to raise a Series A round. Um, knowing that to scale those companies, sometimes, you know, it can take, you know, B, C and D. Um, so, you know, I'll let you do the math. I, I kind of like the 12 ways to avoid from your, one of your presentation is like uh, you sh- these are the 12 ways to avoid fun where easy where same where solution where vapor where lame where fail where late where lost where ball where future where and local where but yeah. I have my last question for you so does every hardware startup now need to think about uh, object beings uh, sentient and connected or will every object actually become intelligent and autonomous in what you're seeing in the trend for investing in hardware startups? Meaning, is Internet of Things very important at the moment for yeah. hardware? Yes, uh, yeah, sure. I can comment on whether it's a, it's a, it's a good thing or a bad mm-hmm. thing. Generally, technology is, uh, is, is meant to uh, you know, improve our lives, and it's been um, it's been done many times over. But be, be beyond that, there is there is no doubt that the price of uh, you know of, of of a computer essentially uh, is going to go down to the ground. It's going to be worth you know a few dollars in the next few months. And I'm talking about you know a computer. Yeah, yep. <laughs> I bought a Raspberry Pi for twenty five US dollars. So yep. yeah, it's, it's, it's going to be even cheaper soon. Then the the the, the size of it uh, is keeps on shrinking. At, at at some point, which is very near, you know, and all those stores are going to combine, etc. Um, so, so at this point, the, the, the point will be reversed from the Wi-Fi, actually, um, because it will be so cheap and, and there will be some kind of benefit in, in targeting, in getting that data for some reason, that, uh, that the question will become, why, why not connect it? <laughs> <laughs> uh, and so you have to assume that, uh, that yes, uh, you know, uh, I don't know how long it's going to take, but, but every single object is going to have some smarts in it. Um, you know, we have a, a company called Dharma that uh, has been embedding its... Uh, 
uh, essentially they have um, uh, some kind of um, fiber optic that can uh, actually Singapore company can be uh, uh, can be put into any chair and that will track all your vitals uh, and your breathing rate and etc and your uh, you know inactivity or your activity uh, so that's you know that's that's a chair everybody sits on chair all day long and there are you know billions of chairs on the planet a cl- uh, you know a clear sign that that it's it's, it's happening and I'm, I'm sure there will be um, uh, amazing benefits in uh, in having those things connected naturally you know in terms of uh, of energy savings and uh, agriculture and etc there, there are lots of good things uh, ahead i think okay so Cyril, we come to that part of the podcast where i will ask where can my audience find you uh you can find me uh in in very few places <laughs> uh, you can find me online uh so linkedin you know happy to to connect with uh, mm. uh your audience um uh, on twitter sometimes um a little bit but uh, most of the time i'm spending it on um on, on the on, on talking on the hacks account um i mean changing most of the time or in san francisco so you know if you visit uh just uh, uh you know drop me an email and we'll be happy to meet up mm, in fact my wife met you very briefly when she was in shenzhen so oh. yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, she's a hardware entrepreneur. So I presume that Fantastic. you are the first guy that I probably get her t- to talk to mm-hmm. you. So you can find me at bleongcw or bernardleong.com or you can follow us at analyzeasia.com, A-N-A-L-Y-S-E, asia.com. And you can follow us at Analyze Asia. Subscribe us through iTunes, Stitcher and SoundCloud. Or, you know, the best place to always listen to the podcast is actually through Overcast. So, Cyril, once again, thank you very much for coming on the show. And I definitely will get you again in a year's time to talk a lot more about maybe I think hardware might become like software. Sure. Uh, all right. Yeah. Thanks, Bernard, for, for your time. Um, uh, all right. It's been um, uh, a delight to, to chat with you and, um, uh, and everyone. And uh, looking forward to talk to you soon again.